0: Thanks for joining us today as you listen to a portion of a message recorded at Vinelife Church in Boulder, Colorado. If you'd like to connect with us further, you can visit us online at www.vinelife.com. I'm doing pretty good. You ready to suffer through me and what all happens here? You know, we've been talking for several weeks, uh, and uh, God is kind of stitching together a theme here. Uh, for four weeks, we talked about making space, about creating capacity. We talked about it in terms of spiritual space to hear God, and time space, that managing kair- uh, k- Chronos to get to Kairo's. Uh, we talked about relational space, and we talked about financial space. Things shift. Last week, Luke talks about <clears throat> we have this Supreme Court decision, and all of a sudden, our vision becomes clear, and we realize that the power that we have as little Christs, as Christians, is the power and the love of God. It's not our finances. It's not our voting block. It's none of those things. And that's what we need to reconnect with. And today I want to try to continue on that theme just a little bit. You know, it's said there's only two things that are certain, death and taxes. And only one of those do we need to worry about, right? Just one. But it's also said the thing that is constant is change and it is we live in the unfolding revelation of God and we have change all the time that change creates the winds of doctrine it creates life's persistent questions it throws us into conflict between our flesh and our spirit some of the challenges we have are related to the outside not to us internally, but to those around us. Sometimes we'll have challenges where we encounter uh, an unacceptable thing, like maybe a parent uh, verbally abusing their child. Now, in our culture, I'm sure for most of us, if we saw a parent abusing their child physically, we'd step in, wouldn't we? like to think we would. But when it comes to emotional abuse or verbal abuse, we're we're really conflicted about that. We're not the child's parent. We don't have the context of the situation. We don't know any of that. And we don't know what to do. Sometimes we discover something dishonoring to the Lord. I I have to tell you a story. One time I was a teenager, and uh, the church that I went to was fencing their parking lot with this big chain link fence. And uh, my youth pastor and I were walking around the uh, uh, sidewalk around the front of the church. We passed some guys working on it. And behind us, this man pinched his hand, and he cried out to the Lord. Now, I was astounded for a couple of reasons. The first reason I was astounded is I never knew Jesus had a middle name. I did not know. That. And I still don't know the name, but I know the initial. It's H, in case you're wondering. Okay. But the other thing that astounded me is my youth pastor wheeled around and he said to the guy, amen, amen. You were praying, weren't you? Because that's the only way we use that name around here, okay? He knew who he was and he knew what to do when he encountered something that was unacceptable. Sometimes uh, we have things where they're uncomfortable. when, When somebody's trying to sort of coerce us into something we don't, believe. My, my sister had a boyfriend, and uh, uh, he was one of those guys. Well, first of all, he's from Nebraska. Oh, I shouldn't have said that, but he was, yeah, uh, he was. But uh, he was a huge bundle of opinions. Uh, this man had opinions on everything. And so he wasn't content to express his opinions. You needed to join in. So he'd say, well, Bob, as you well know, we all know that the, uh, uh, the gifts of the Spirit ceased with the death of the apostles, right? Uh Uh-huh, yeah, Uh uh-huh. He's trying to draw you into some kind of agreement for something that you cannot agree with. Or maybe we get drawn into something where we go along with something that we don't actually want to go along with. But we don't want to make waves, we don't want to cause problems, we don't want to embarrass anybody. So we go along with these uncomfortable things sometimes that we're faced with. And sometimes we are faced with uncertain things, paradoxes. Um, To me, it's kind of the story of what do you do when you find an endangered animal eating an endangered plant? Now, this is a paradox. How are we going to deal with that whole idea of two conflicting kinds of things? Those are the things that happen to us in the world on the outside, but then there's a whole other set of things that happen, and these are the things that happen to us on the inside. The first place of conflict we have is between our flesh and our spirit. It's between the things that we desire in the natural and the things that God knows are good for us in the spirit. If you look in your Bible, in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing the church in Galatia, and this is in the 5th chapter, verse 16. Now, Paul is not a happy guy when he's writing this. Remember, this, this whole thing begins with, you foolish Galatians, right? They were beginning to stray off, and he was bringing them back. But this is something that he said to them, hey, look. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. We are at war between our flesh and our spirit. Sometimes the conflicts that we face, these changing situations, when the cheese moves, when the situation changes, it creates an opportunity for the enemy to come against us. And we can experience spiritual attacks. Now, in our culture, we're particularly vulnerable to that because they're not something that can be seen. And our culture worships at the altar of observation. If it can't be seen, it can't be real, right? Right? Well, the enemy loves that, of course. So we're warned in Ephesians, um, in chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes, everybody's read this, he says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm." So some of our problems within ourselves even come from the conflict between our flesh and our spirit. Some of them come because the enemy meddles with us and attacks us and tries to interfere and obscure things. And then some of them are just a product of our circumstance. Sometimes, do you ever have circumstances get to you? Uh, yeah. There's the, the, think about David. Here's David. Now, he had all kinds of circumstances. He was the runt of the litter. Nobody even thought about him, even his own daddy. Didn't think too much of him. And then he gets to be anointed king, but he doesn't get to be king. And then he ends up in the king's house, but the king's throwing spears at him. Not only that, but he builds this close relationship with the king's son, Jonathan, who would be his natural contender when he did become king. So finally, he's got to run for it, live in a cave, pretend he's crazy, hang out with the Philistines, ruling a bunch of thugs, got a protection racket kind of going. Read it. I'm not making it up. It's in Samuel. It's true. Okay. All of these things are happening to David as he's trying to live through his circumstances. Um, Sometimes good circumstances aren't helpful either. The same David, about 15 years later, is king. It's all come to pass. Now he's king, he's in the heart of his success, he's got problems. There's a budget to be met, justice to be dispensed, a war to be fought. So one night he wanders out on the balcony of the palace and observes this lovely young woman, Bathsheba, who's bathing. Now because of his success, he has all the power. He can do whatever he wants. And so in this case, his circumstance led him into adultery, into murder, and into the loss of the throne. So we face our circumstances, we face our flesh, and we face our enemy. What a lineup, huh? Are you you excited about this whole thing? (laughs) Well, there is good news. Let me tell you, there is good news, you know it too. God is unchanging. In the face of all of those shifting circumstances, God is unchanging, and because we're created in His identity, we're created in His image and likeness, it's right in a book, you can read it, because of that, we can't change either. We cannot change either. That's the good news for us. That's the good news for us. A couple things to hang on to here. In the face of changing circumstances, do you realize that we are God's highest creative thought? When you look in Genesis at the story of creation, God goes through and he separates from the light from the dark and he says it's good when he's through. He separates the firmament from the water, says it's good when he's through. He goes on and creates these things and at the end of each day of creation he sees what he did and he says it's good until the sixth day. We're sixth day people, that's our day. And the sixth day he created man and what did he say? It's very good. Very good. We are God's highest creative thought. We need to remember that when we face our flesh and our circumstances and our enemy Paul was writing to Timothy see people get the idea that somehow sin can change who they are I'm just out of curiosity is there anybody here is without sin I'm just wondering no not so huh okay no hands well sin wants us to convince, wants to convince us that we're unworthy. Paul was writing to Timothy. Now look, Paul, up until the road to Damascus, he was the bad boy of the Bible, okay? Paul was not a good guy. And so in his letter to Timothy, first letter, young guy, sent him off to pastor a church. And in uh, chapter 1, verse 12, he writes, and he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Here's my point. Paul goes on and says, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, Paul had sin. He had as much sin as a person could have, I think. And yet, that didn't change his identity at all. God revealed to him his identity, and he moved, and now he becomes one of the great writers of letters and church planting in the history of the world. Sin didn't take Paul's identity. Then there's circumstances. Sometimes we feel circumstances are going to change our identity. And I'm thinking about the prodigal son. It's in uh, 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 Matthew 19, verses 16 and 17. And oh, No, excuse me. Uh, is that right? That's right? No, this is the rich young man. The rich young man... And he comes up to Jesus, and he says, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And what he was talking about is this. Here was a guy who had climbed the ladder of success. He climbed up the ladder of success and got up to the top, and he looked over the wall, and he did not see what he expected to see. He did not see that at all. He did not see eternal life. There was something missing. But even success cannot change our identity. Jesus offered to that man the pathway to eternity. Whether he took it or not, it's neither here nor there. It was there, and it was available for him to do. And then there's circumstances. Circumstances maybe the best example, or a good example, is a prodigal, the prodigal son. Uh, So he says to his dad, I wish you were dead, give me my share of my inheritance, I'm gonna take half the working capital out of your farm, and I'm off, and I'm out of this chicken outfit. I'm going. And off he goes, and he dissipates, and he spends some money and everything, and finally his circumstances catch up with him. He's overwhelmed, he's overwhelmed, and he realizes that he's in trouble. So he goes home, and he goes to his father, and he says, I'm not worthy to be your son. Would you let me be a servant? And his father said, those circumstances don't change you at all. You are my son. You can't be anything other than my son. And because of that, get the ring, get the robe, get the sandals, kill the fatted calf, we're going to have a party. My son, who was lost, has returned. See, there's a trap out there. It's the performance trap. It really is. And when we're in the performance trap, the dynamic is this. We're afraid we haven't performed well enough for God. And we suspect that he's not going to perform for us. That's the performance trap. But the truth, the truth is this. Our performance will never improve or disprove our relationship with our Father. Our performance in sin, our performance in our circumstances, our performance even in our successes, none of those will alter one bit our relationship as a child of God. We cannot change identity through performance. There's a second truth here, and that is that Jesus came... To take away the sin of the world, right? One of the interesting things about that is sin has a little suitcase that goes along with it called shame. And I want to talk about shame for a moment. Because uh, we've probably all experienced that We've either been left in shame or we have left somebody in shame. Or both. Or both. And shame is a terrible thing because that's the shadow of guilt that interferes in our relationship with God, That's the one that screams at us unworthy. doesn't matter whether we've been left in shame or we left somebody. It screams the same thing. And the dynamic of shame is one that what happens is when we're left in shame, our heart begins to harden. And as our heart hardens, we become bitter. And as we become bitter, we become convinced that it's somebody else's fault. It's not our fault. And we abdicate our identity. The devil made me do it, right? That's what we do. Please, please, don't leave anybody in shame ever. Always build a bridge that they can come out of shame. Jesus gives us a great model for how that works. And God gives us a model in the Old Testament. First of all, in the Old Testament, if you look in the book of Leviticus you will see in the fourth and fifth chapter a whole bunch of conversation with God around sin offerings and penalty offerings for inadvertent sins. These are God's early laws to his people, and as for sins they didn't mean to do. I trod on Betty's foot. I didn't mean to. But her foot doesn't feel any better because I didn't mean to. It was an inadvertent sin. And so God creates these rules for inadvertent sin. And then if you go into chapter 6, what you'll find is here's all these rules for how you deal with intentional sin, lying, stealing, cheating, all those kinds of things. Because God created us, he full well knows that the the nurturing of shame is a lack of self-forgiveness. It's not that God doesn't forgive us, it's that we don't forgive ourselves. And these sacrifices are a way to do it. But Jesus came and he took away the sin of the world. Different deal. It's the New Testament. And if you look in the Gospel of John, I think it's the 21st chapter, um, verses 15 through 19, the story is this. Remember Simon Peter. And Peter is a guy that hung out with Jesus and these other 11 guys for three years. They lived together. And he was always kind of the leader in a way, but not. He was abrupt. He was... Uh, misunderstanding sometime, and so forth. And then, in the key moment, in the key moment, Jesus is arrested. The government's got a hold of him. What happens? Peter fails. He fails. He denies Jesus. Three times he denies Jesus. Can you imagine the shame Can you imagine the shame that he must have had to walk with at that time? So, this chapter, this verse, is after the death of Jesus and his resurrection. And here's hangdog Peter. He's still around, along with ten other guys. There's only 11 left now. And he's got his fishing partners, and it must be a giant elephant in the boat. You know what I mean? This whole idea that he said I don't know who this guy is I don't know him and they're having breakfast on the beach Jesus appears to them tells them how to get some fish they're having breakfast and Jesus enters into this conversation that we find in verse 15 and it says when they had finished eating Jesus said to Simon Peter Simon son of John do you love me more than these yes Lord he said you know that I love you Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep and here's where it begins he says very truly I tell you when you were younger you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God and then he said to him follow me that's the restoration of shame he wasn't shaming Peter he was helping Peter convince himself that he loved the Lord and that that was acceptable. This was an impartation of authority. Remember earlier, he told cheater, Peter, not cheater, Peter, you, was that Freudian? He told Peter, you're the church on which I build, or the rock on which I build my church, right? This was the restoration, and that has to happen to all of us in shame. After the service today, when we close, a ministry team is going to come. And if you have been left in shame, or you've left somebody in shame, and you need forgiveness, I want you to come down then and pray with them, okay? Get rid of that shame. It's no friend. Shame is a thing. It's like a file in a drawer, and you can open the drawer anytime, And you can read the whole file, and you can make it hurt more now than it did when you did whatever it was, you know? Come down here and get rid of that file. Lock it up and throw away the key. Give it to Jesus. Can we do that? Get free. Get free today. It's a day of healing. So we're in an. Un- we have an unchanging God. We're created in His image and likeness. So we have an identity. We have a Savior who takes away our sin and our shame. And set up against that, we have the desires of our flesh our successes, our circumstances, and the world around us. There we are. There we are. What do we do with that? Well, Paul writes about it, and the translation we're going to put on the screen is the message. Now, I want to be sure it's clear. Everybody understands uh, the message was written by a pastor, biblical scholar, translator named Eugene Peterson. It is a paraphrase. This is a paraphrase. And the reason I'm using it today is because I think the way he explains this is more easy for us to absorb than some of the uh, more literal translations. So, in Romans 6, starting in verse 1 of the message, Paul begins to answer that question. He says, so what do we do? So what do we do? Keep on sinning so God can keep on forgiving? I should hope not. If we've left the country where sin is sovereign, how can we live in our old house there? Or didn't you realize we packed up and left there for good? Yeah, that's what happened in baptism. When we went under the water, we left the old country of sin behind. And when we came up out of the water, we entered into the new country of grace. A new life in a new land. I can't help but wonder if there are not some here today who want to be baptized, who need to be baptized. If that's you, give the front desk a call. Betty will be there. And let her know, okay? Let's leave the old country where sin rules and build our house in a new country where we're joint heirs with Christ. He goes on and he talks quite a bit about baptism. And then he says this. He says, when Jesus died, he took sin down with him. But alive, he brings God down to us. From now on, think of it this way. Sin speaks a dead language that means nothing to you. Nothing god speaks your mother tongue and you hang on every word you're dead to sin and alive to god that's what jesus did this means that you must not give sin a vote in the way you conduct your lives don't give it the time of day don't even run little errands that are connected with that old way of life yeah throw yourselves wholeheartedly in full time remember you've been raised from the dead you realize that It's not you're going to be raised from the dead. You have been raised from the dead. It is finished. It's done. The old you is dead. Ed says this a lot. I'm feeling pretty dead. That's right. Because the old man is dead and the new man is now. The new man is here and the new man is alive and well. You're living in the freedom of God. That's right. You're in the freedom of God right now. So, with Christ, we were crucified. And as He died, we died. And in Christ, we're resurrected as He's resurrected. I have to tell you a story. <clears throat> it's such good news. Some years ago, I was hunting. I was with a friend, and we'd hunted elk for a number of years together. And. Uh, Our custom was that we would leave camp in the morning, we'd split up, we'd go hunt, we'd rendezvous someplace for lunch, uh, have lunch, and then we'd split up and, and rendezvous back at the camp. Make sense? So we were camped up on this ridge, so one morning we head down the ridge, and we're hunting along, and we won't see each other, we're quite a ways apart, but ultimately we rendezvous for lunch. We have a nice lunch, and we start working our way back home. We split up So I'm going up the ridge. Well, as I'm going up the ridge, the sun is setting. So I'm adjusting my course for the setting sun as I'm going up. And I feel cold air behind me. And I turn around and look, and there's a cold front coming in. And it's this huge wall of clouds at ground level. And it's coming in the mountains. And so I want to get to the top of that ridge because I kind of like to see my bearings. So I'm racing the clouds to the top of the bridge ridge. I got my rifle, got my backpack, all of that. I'm puffing up the ridge, and I did beat the clouds by about 20 seconds. Yeah, that was about it. I got to the top. I looked out, and I didn't recognize anything. I'd never seen that country before. I had no idea what to do, because the clouds obscured everything, and there was me in my little circle of fog with my rifle and my pack. And, of course, you're thinking about lots of things. Well, what about my hunting partner? Is he going to call the sheriff when I don't show up? Will they find me? Will he think I fell and shot myself or something? Who knows? You know, all those kinds of things. So I did what I think everybody here would probably do. I said to myself, how did I get here? So I thought in my mind back to where I started when I left my camp, and how I hunted through the woods, and then how I met my partner, and we had lunch, and then how I got up the top up here and just beat the clouds to see nothing, but by recounting that, I figured out where I was. Because I realized that I was adjusting too much for the sun. I was getting higher and higher and higher on the ridge. And when I had my little glimpse of light, I was looking in another valley. My valley was down here. We have to do that. We have to remember where we started in the image and likeness of God. We need to remember where we've been in our journey with Christ and that will help us remember who we are particularly in changing times see this is important this is important because the fruit of who we are is what we do okay? I can I can pretend I can imagine I'm a chicken I can go sit in the henhouse all day I can eat chicken food I can you know do all the things chickens do but don't look for an egg there's no egg Because I'm not a chicken. Okay? When you're in your true identity, you can't be in your counterfeit identity. Counterfeit is an old, old word, it means make copy. Counterfeit is something that's a copy that's made to deceive. And that's what sin is. Sin is counterfeit and it is totally alien to our identity. But we have to remember where we started. I uh, want to tell you something I discovered. Do you all get little cards like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Birthday, Christmas, those things? I get these cards, and uh, <clears throat> what I used to do is when I got the card, I would uh, read it, I would ooh and awe, ah, I would thank the person who gave it to me, I would put it on my desk for about a week, and then with a slight sense of guilt, I'd throw it away. Well, if I didn't, my whole desk would ultimately be covered with cards. So, there's a certain reality there, but I don't do that anymore. You see what I do is I take these cards and I read them to me every morning. I read them every morning. This was a card from my uh, youngest son. And he says, "When I look at you, I see a man of character. Someone who trusts his instincts, who stays true to himself and who respects the opinions of others. When I look at you, I see a man of pride, someone who I admire and holds a very special place" in my heart I read my cards God sends you cards all the time the cards come to you in his word the cards come to you in revelation the cards come to you in a prophetic voice the cards come to you in a legacy scripture they come to you in his promises read your cards read the cards they're there there for you to hold your identity in a changing world Read the cards. Don't throw them away. Yeah. Parents, I want to talk to you one second because you're in a special place because you have these little ankle biters and curtain climbers and carpet crawlers that you're responsible for and they can't read their cards. You've got to read the cards for them. Every night when you put your child to bed, you need to tell them how special they are. When you put them to bed, you need to say, I'm proud to wear your name. You're a child of God. You're a a one-of-a-kind. There's none like you at all. And not only do I love you, but your Father loves you. I read an interesting article recently. It was about uh, how people are named in Iceland. And this process used to be true throughout all of Scandinavia. In Iceland... They have a list of about 1,800 boys' names, and they have a list of about 1,800 girls' names. And uh, when you have a child, the child has their name has to come from that list. Although there's a like a board of appeals, if you want to use a different name, you can ask. But in Iceland, they don't have any family names. In Iceland, all the names are either patronymic or matronymic you are either named for your father or your name for your mother so if my name were Fred and my dad's name was Carl my name would be Fred Carlson or if I were a girl and let's say my name is Hilda and my mother's name is Olga my name would be Hilda Olga's daughter d-o-t-t-i-r that's how they're named and that's how they're connected to their family. When you think about yourself, like my dad's name was Chester. So if we lived in that system, my name would be Robert Chesterson. And my son Aaron, his name would be Aaron Robertson. Get it? So think about your own name for a minute. Think about your father's name or your mother's name. What would your name be? What would it be? Well, well, these children, their name is God's son. For every one of them. It's God's Son. And they have to be connected to that. And they have to know it. Because when they get out in their sin and their circumstances and their situations and their success, they're going to be subject to all these winds of doctrine. All these crazy ideas why wrong is right and right is wrong. And they need to be connected to their Father. Godson, Goddaughter. Don't miss that opportunity. Not even for a night. And remember this. As we go through life, we're sent to call people into relationship with Jesus. I think it's very interesting that when you read the epistles, almost all of the letters, you know, they were written by James, John, Peter, Paul, Jude, all of the epistles, maybe not Hebrews, but most of them, all the epistles, by the time you get to about the 6th or 7th verse, those men inspired by God are writing to a church about their identity, even the foolish Galatians. Okay? And how often do you see the language in those books where Paul says, we thank God day and night here because we are told of your generosity. We are told of your sacrifice. We are told of your faithfulness. We are told of your obedience. That is your identity. That is your identity. And you can walk around every day with the person that cuts your hair with the person that's your clerk at the grocery store, with your boss, with your subordinate, with your next-door neighbor, with a cop who just stopped to give you a ticket, whatever it may be, and you can call that out in them. You can call them out in them. That's what we're for. Well, why does it matter? Well, I think it matters because in a lost and a broken world, we're the salt the light if we don't who will who will secondly I think it matters because as I said a minute ago we need to have our children affirmed in the truth of who they are because for all of us with children that are small over time we're going to lose the intensity the frequency and the priority of contact with them and others will speak into them in much more intimate ways than we will Thirdly, it matters because of this. When people encounter the goodness of God, then they'll experience a transformed life. We just have to lead them into the goodness of God. In any landscape we find ourselves, whether it's the top of the ridge and the fog, whether it's in shifting social values, whether it's in changing ideas about what's right and what's wrong I'd like you to remember your map is from heaven that's the map we follow it's the one from heaven and that map is a redeeming savior he came so that we would know and trust him he came so that we would live like him and he came so that we would teach others to do the same Okay? All right. Amen. Ministry team, could you come, please? We'll have some words on the screen here about various things that have been shown to us prophetically. If you've got some shame hanging around, don't forget that. Don't walk out of here. Don't keep that. It doesn't belong to you. Jesus died for it. Give it back to Him. Get rid of it, okay? Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for all that you have touched us with in our heart, in our spirit. Father, we ask that these things would go deep in us, that we would draw ever closer in alignment with you in our true identity. We are not slaves of fear. We are all your children. So, Lord, I ask that you would bless all here